Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade-filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. What would be... Okay, since I screwed this up on the Babylon episode... And you're already screwing it up now. No, no, no. What would be a good... Because I didn't do the right, like, 20s version of any, like, W.H. Johnson or something. Like, what would be a good... Boomer like, 50s name? Yeah, like a Boomer 50s name for me. Like, I feel like I'm like a... I, I think you have one, William Johnson. Why don't you just do Will <laughs> Will Boomer Johnson? Yeah. Will Boomer Johnson. Uh, no, I, I kind of feel like I should have like a hawk in there somewhere. Like I'm like a screaming hawk or Jay. What are you, a G.I. Joe character? Come on. <laughs> yeah, now. I don't know. I just... I just I feel right, like I, I would have a nickname. Yeah, I'd have like a... You know, let's... I feel like I would have a cool 50s nickname like... Uh, Sarge Turd bucket. Yeah. Turd <laughs> News flash. Will Will uh Jayhawk Johnson on Jayhawk <laughs> Johnson. Jayhawk that's you know what? That's what we're we're gonna rename the show John and the Jayhawk. That's what yeah. we're gonna show. So <laughs> is is he gonna divorce Olivia Wilde too? Is that what's happening with this Kansas tie stuff? Or? You know what? I if I know. if I can Get a chance with Olivia Wilde first, and then divorce her. I'm good. Oh, like so, boy. yeah, I'll take it. Uh, you, you want me to spin that? <laughs> you want me to spin that? I'll go. I'll go with it. They you know were never funny? married. They were only. Mm. Um, they were engaged for a long time. <laughs> See, do you know how this is going to be funny? One, there's a good chance that this episode is going to drop before the last one we recorded, where none of these jokes are going to land. And two, that's Katie Glidewell, our guest for the show, ladies and gents. So we'll get to there. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, we're damn glad to have you folks. The voice you hear is Katie Glywell. She is back on the Cinephile History of Podcast. We are here to talk about um, Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. But, as usual, this is all for tantrum's sake. We're shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love, but for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit and 50s naming rights are on. <laughs> this week, we're going to talk about, like we said, The Fablemans. Our format is this, The Recommending Lover Goes First, which this week is going to be normally we send the guest up first. But William Johnson's going to go first because this is a highly ranked movie for him. I'm the middle ground in between them. And Katie Glidewell, our guest, normally going first, is our closer. In those times, each person's going to get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise or present any counterpoints or scorched earth. We're going to see where this one lands. After that, we're going to open it up for 15 to 50 minutes of shared conversation where the hissy fit gets chippier than it does now with jokes that I promise will land and have references to things that you're going to listen to next week for Babylon. But anyway, we're going to go. All right. Uh, So I get to go first. You get to go first. All right. So um, I got to say, guys, what a year for me, because (laughs) I get to, and I don't have my time around, so I'm just going to trust you guys. Um, I'm telling you, man, I get to see this year. Like, if you told me that I'd get, you know, if you told me, like, three years ago that I would get a, a year where I get to see a brand new David Cronenberg movie, a brand new Jordan Peele movie, a brand new Sam Raimi movie, and a brand new Steven Spielberg movie, I would have been like, that seems impossible, because how could I get so many perfect things in one year, you know? And I got it. I mean, this year has been incredible for my favorite directors. I know I'm not some, I know I'm not some kind of refined cinephile that you know only likes the films of like you know the post-Hungarian period from 1958 or whatever. I I like big I like big studio directors. I love Steven Spielberg. I love him so much. 
just like I love Jordan Peele, who's kind of the modern day version of that now, and, and things like that. So, you know, I see a Spielberg movie, and even though, you know, the last couple years haven't, or I would say the last decade or so, I think me and Don talk about this a few times, you know, he's had, you know, a war horse here and there, but, you know, he kind of went through a little bit of a rut, just kind of making movies, including to me, the worst movie he ever made, which is uh, Ready Player One. <gasps> the fact that he is, uh, <laughs> the fact that he is basically doing back-to-back homers right now, like because West Side Story was my favorite film of last year, and I would put this film as my number two of this year, so far anyway. I haven't seen everything, of course, but you know, I, I just think and this is a staggering achievement of this dude is so. F- fucking good at making movies that there is one scene in this movie where you watch the avatar of Steven Spielberg uh, make a movie about World War II and in the movie within a movie I was crying because it's so goddamn good Like that is how good of a director he is he's making movies within movies boxes within boxes and I'm affected by it and I also think, like many of Spielberg's unheralded works, um, like let's say something like AI, who former guest of the show uh, Barbara Vandenberg has has done, you know, uh, screenings of here in Phoenix. You know, people get one perception of what Spielberg is doing when, re- in reality, it's the complete opposite. If you put this down on paper, you know, and let's let's read the. Let's read the synopsis of this movie, okay? This is per letterbox. It says, A coming-of-age story about a young man's discovery of a shattering family secret and an exploration of the power of movies to help us see the truth about each other and ourselves. Don't get me wrong. You know, for all of Spielberg's magnificent artistry, sometimes he can wallow a bit in, you know, the the childlike view of the world, or he can play, I'm not going to say he's ever going to play it safe because this guy basically has reinvented Hollywood numerous times by taking risks, but he has this, he has this, there's this understanding because he has children in his movies that his viewpoint is therefore childish. And I bring up AI because AI's ending, you know, a lot of people misinterpret that ending as a very bright, happy Spielbergian ending, when in all reality is a very dark, sad, Kubrickian ending, as the story was based on. This movie, to me, is like the ending of AI, but stretched out to a full runtime, because I think on the surface, that very cheesy, terrible kind of summary of this film is betrayed by the fact that you have something extremely deep and nuanced and very playing against type, even though you think it's going for a certain thing. You think you know where the movie's going, and in some ways it does go that direction, but it tweaks it just enough. And the acting in this is so superb and so intricate and detailed. The fact that you have Paul Dano, who on the surface seems like this very square passionless dude but you see what's going on behind his eyes the fact that you think seth rogan is just the goofy friend of the family and he's got a little bit going on underneath michelle williams who has always been phenomenal in pretty much everything and lifts up anything that she's in i think gives one of her most nuanced and subtle performances as a woman really torn between 
finding her passion, serving a family, and betraying her own instincts, you know? And it's, I'm not even really going into the film here, but I guess the, the whole point I'm making about the Fablemans is that this is more than just what that summary is. It's more than just what you think a Spielberg film is. This is a beautiful story about not only creating art, but tackling family issues and and living in a world that sometimes doesn't doesn't respect you or accept you and 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 making changes with the power of your voice and the power of your art um there's a lot of great stuff going on in this movie i'm sure we'll discuss it but for me uh just i just was left in tears multiple times i was moved to the core by the performances and I was shocked at how a story, which I was expecting to maybe go a certain way, did not go that way at all. I think this is probably, I know this is a bold statement. I made this statement with West Side Story saying it was one of my top five favorite Spielberg films, which a lot of people came at me for, but I think this is on, you know, it doesn't appear to be on the surface. I think this is one of the most nuanced and subtle Spielberg films he's ever made. That's it. Man, all right. I know. I, I not to bring up words we talked about off, off key here, but I I can't go there. I I I just can't. Um, it's a, this is a fine, this is a fine fine movie. Um, I I I I think the words I kind of try to give this a little bit was like this is polished silver. Like it is not polished gold. It is not quarter platinum amazing this but it's very very nice of where you get out for a family gathering or thanksgiving like this is not a, an heirloom of anything that's going to be amazing and and something that's going to you know just be a a, a a a treasure to adore but it's it's the nice it's the nice it's the nice dishes you get out because um i will fully respect and appreciate that um spielberg of, of all the people has has earned the right to kind of make whatever movie he wants even if we sit here and kind of question whether he's challenged himself whether he's really kind of like going for anything daring and, and we realize the guy doesn't have to like hey you just go make the movies you like and if this if this particular legend has this kind of humble origin or wants to kind of tell that story not that he's the first artist to do it but um but I can respect that. It's a, it's a, it is a unique tale that we get to see uh, from an era that uh, I think probably to our through through no fault of his is that era of um, I call it the boomer stuff we were talking about before. But uh, this this is that greatest generation situation where these are the kids of the greatest generation. You know, this is a kid from the fifties. You know, grew up in the sixties. Whether they became a hippie or not and did something out of it was another story. And here they are today as the people who are quite kind of questioning the modernity of the world. And some people are good about that, and some people aren't. Spielberg is is a gatekeeper in his own right in different places here and there. But for the most part, I I, I like to think is a pretty square, pretty decent guy. So for him to kind of come out with his acumen of, of, you know, his usual people, Giannis Kaminsky on camera, Michael Kahn editing, John Williams doing a score, like he's going to make a very pretty, very good, you know, pristine, polished silver movie. And to have the movie kind of discuss just how, just what cameras can do, you know, for the kid and also for all of us where, of course, they create fantasy. We're watching movies. He's a brilliant master uh, maker of movies where that's going to be there regardless. And to see where that this master got his inspiration is always nice to see. 
that then to have him still show how the cameras capture the real you you know it's the home videos as much as it is the the put on productions that he wants to do how that how that kind of i called it in my review kind of a double edged sort of inspiration where you know he he wants to you know make everything look great on film and and, and create art but at the same time you are also capturing you know the real the unscripted authenticity of a real person uh and in this case centered on his mother played by Michelle Williams and how that you know it's kind of the the uh, the affir- the affirmation of the beauty that is in that woman uh the talent that is in that woman but at the same time the shameful kind of flawed truths that are out there in this you know soon to be broken home and i can respect all that like that's a that's not a that's not an easy plucky story to tell where this could have easily just been let's show the wonder could make you know prodigy of film make make film and have him have it be his launching pad have it be the thing everything's everybody celebrates and cheers him on to do and it, you know it's not that movie he he goes through what he goes through at a family level and at a personal level and even at i guess we get to say at a spiritual level with the religious uh, undertones that are here um but um all of that is just very soft and very nice and i think the only for me it's just just it, it it's just nice where I want. I I don't want to say I want it because I'm I'm not an expectations guy. Like uh, I'm not going to be one of those people that says, "Oh, it's not the movie I." It, it, I'm not a didn't work for me person. I'm not a. It's not a movie I wanted person. I I hate critics that do the expectations thing. But the the one place of the movie where I'm like, all right, here's something to say, is when Judd Hirsch shows up with the art in your heart speech, and I wish that the movie had more of that spark than the than ah then just the the appreciation that is there throughout it all and then yeah um i don't know it's um not like i said nothing's nothing's off about it nothing's unpretty about it it's all very beautiful very well done it's just i don't know not my story to get into and uh ah i don't know it's the it's the nicest prettiest boringest four-star movie i've seen this year it just (laughs) i don't know i just i it's it was nice. We've done this magic movies bullshit all year, and it just was one more movie where I'm like, "Oh, I'm I'm glad you got that moment, Stephen." But for me, ah, eh, it's not my moment to have. I, I get to watch yours, and it's cute, but nothing nothing's going to go beyond it for me. Katie, I hate you. You all right. Well, <laughs> I think I may agree a lot with Don. Like I did like this film i don't agree with what there's i don't know if it's on imdb or something but it says explores how the power of movies help us see the truth about each other and ourselves i don't agree with that i feel like this film shows the flaws and family and the foundation of film from one of history's best directors you know it's 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 based loosely on steven spielberg's uh uh, family and growing up and I know that I I mean this was came out is come out two years after his father passed at 103 uh, you know set in Jersey Arizona and California which are vastly different areas um, of him growing up and just his love of film from the minute he saw his first movie which is the greatest show on earth um, at least from the film's perspective so I love how it goes into that and this 
anyone who is an artist and who loves film as much as you do, I feel like this film is for you, uh, especially with, as Don had said, with that Judd um, Hirsch monologue, which I think this is a career best performance from Judd Hirsch. I know uh, there are possibilities or people are talking about him getting a nomination. I think he should. I wrote that down in my notes that I think this is his best performance. He does have that jolt of lightning because it really does show uh, a child like that difference in their parents. Like she's an artist and the dad is not, they love each other, but there's that drug that, um, you know, art is our drug and we're junkies and it's, it's hard to get over that. And if you don't have it, you're going to need something else. And she finds that. But I think, as far as Spielberg, I mean, it's an award-worthy film. I mean, the cinematography is beautiful. The score by John Williams, which I think, I may not be positive, but I think this is his last score that he's going to do. And if this is how you're going to end it, well done, sir. I mean, everything that John Williams, it's like you recognize that it's John Williams, but it's not the exact same John Williams music, which that's what is what makes him the best of the best. Like. He's absolutely spectacular. But that cinematography that Janice Kaminsky does is just breathtaking. There are just some scenes with uh, Michelle Williams in the camp scene with the headlights. That's just absolutely stunning. Like she gives an amazing performance, but it's seeing a uh, young Sammy Fableman who's supposed to be Steven Spielberg to see his eyes like light up and uh, you know, making those movies at a young age and then going on and, you know, learning about them, but also having that devil's advocate for people that love you. I, for me, I could definitely relate to that. I, I know people that love me that also say it's like, yeah, no, that's great, but this is a hobby. So you need to make sure you do other things and all that stuff. And unfortunately, I wish I hadn't listened to them because I wish I would have had that love for film that Sammy Fable, like that despite what those people who love you are trying to give you that good advice said, I wish I didn't do what they said and I did different things and to see what my life would have done. Um, this has my favorite cameo of the year. We talked about this in another movie um, in another uh, review, but yeah, love the casting of this. And I think that Seth Rogen, plays a huge part and it's a really difficult part to play the part that he does because this, uh, not to give anything away, but to have the kindness that Spielberg did for writing this part, but also you making it's a likable character that isn't necessarily um, a, in a likable circumstance, I think is very hard to do, but he does it in a brilliant way. I mean, this deals with a family circumstance to have a child see this that's really really difficult and that was a thing that i think it definitely sugarcoated a lot of stuff i don't need to say i don't need it doesn't need to be violent it doesn't need to be you know to an extreme but i felt like it was very safe at what uh could have happened or did happen and maybe didn't go that extra bit that I think it probably should have done. I don't know. There's something about it that I just, I just felt like it was holding back a number of things um, during parts that if like, if you're going to show that I felt like there's, 
I don't know. There's just a lot of stuff that I've just felt like was holding back that couldn't have been. But I do think it's a beautiful film about one of history's um, best directors. I have no doubt that Spielberg, he's actually my favorite director. And I love Ready Player One. I don't think it was a misstep. I think it was amazing. Tell uh, me. Uh, yeah. Nope. But uh, I still think I want to see more from Spielberg. I know he's like, I think 83 right now. Um, 76. 76. Okay, good. So uh, I hope he keeps doing more. I know I think he has a couple films down the line, but I thought this was night. I, I don't know. I, again, I just felt like it was just holding back and I wanted more, but um, yeah, it's a hard film to say when you have a lot uh, someone who loves something so much and you have uh, a number of people that, they love and that love them back or telling them, you know, not to do it. So maybe it's just a personal note that it's like, yeah, man, you know, man, I'm just a little bit jealous that you did what you did despite, you know, people trying to hold you back. And, but I do say, go see it. Um, I don't know when I'll see it again, but yeah, I think that uh, Michelle Williams will probably get nominated and it's probably going to be, you know, one of the most nominated films of the year. All right, before we get back to our Mix It Up session of things, uh, we will break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. Hey, this is Charlie, Triple C, from Brevity Box, a new and interesting podcast from the Ruminations Radio Network. If you're a fan of podcasts, we have a lot of great content to offer. Come check out our diverse group of podcasts and hosts at ruminationsradionetwork.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. Yeah, I, I'm. I'll piggyback the Oscar talk here with, um, with Katie. I think this is going to be one of those movies that uh, gets nominated for for ten plus awards because when I go down the list of like just one, the respect for Spielberg, and two, the under the title talent in place, this is a best picture contender this is a director contender um i think there's a shot where gabriel labelle has a has a window of a possibility at actor if things fall a certain way uh, i think you got michelle williams as a lock i think you have paul dano as a lock in the final five that's just five from the top line as it is throw in a screenplay throw in production design cinematography of course john williams is wonderful music maybe some costumes maybe some um sound because you know Spielberg always you know has a perfectly tuned little movie i think you get 10 nominations here but at the same time i don't think it wins a damn one of them like it's it's going to be this year's american hustle and this year's the irishman where it has all this you know it's very good looking at how nice it is love but it's never the most exceptional thing in any one thing to win any of the trophies at the end of the night no i i, I mean i i don't know if i agree with that on some level i mean i agree with you on the oscar thing i don't think the oscars are going to well, technical wise, we all know Avatar is going to win everything. So, but, uh, but yeah, and when I, you see it, you'll know, and it should. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, no, I know that. But let me address. I want to address the thing about, like I said, I know it's a cheesy line, but help us see the truth about each other and ourselves. I, I think. Oh, it is higher, overselling it like crazy. I'm with you. No, I, I disagree. I think there was a lot of great, great stuff going on that delivered that, but not in a hokey way to me. I think there was, there were moments in this and, and it's not necessarily what the camera is showing. It's what 
the camera is showing and how that makes the person viewing it feel. To me, sure. To me, one of the most powerful ones was you have the two high school bullies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have, one, you have the one that's a little unhinged, and then you have the one that's kind of like the football jock, you know, whatever. Golden and boy. Golden boy. And the movie goes down one expected path, which is the movie shows the unhinged one getting rejected and everyone makes fun of him. And that is, that's one of the expected ways you would expect a movie to go, right? Like he's getting his revenge on that bully. But I really love the way that he gets the revenge on the other guy because it's not, he shows him in this heroic, like, you know, I'm the hero of the day kind of thing, right? I'm the strapping young lad and nothing will ever be better than this, this moment in history, you know? And it makes the bully, you know, what he knows, what he's seeing on camera is fake. He knows what he's seeing on there is not true because he feels inside. He knows what he is inside, his insecurities, his things like that. And there's moments like that uh, throughout the movie too. Like, there's a great shot. The, the shot that really gets me is there's a shot when Paul Dano is holding Michelle Williams. Now you get you get the perspective of both of their faces. You see Paul Dano and he is looking at Michelle Williams with the biggest in love look you could have, right? And he looks like he's having pure happiness. And then you've got Michelle Williams who looks she looks like this is why she's a great actress. She has that smile on her face. Like she's happy, but you can see in the eyes that she's really miserable. And so truth about each other and ourselves, that plays into that. Because Paul Dano is truthfully really happy, but he's not seeing the truth behind it. If he really watched the film, he'd know his wife was miserable in so many ways. And vice versa. And sure, they play with it with, you know, finding out the little indiscretion maybe the wife had with Seth Rogen and stuff like that. But it does sometimes it does it in an obvious way, but I think there's a lot of things where it doesn't do that. Like where it really gets a little bit deeper. It gets a little bit unexpected and into the, into the, into the details a little bit more than, than any other film might have under a lesser direct. That's my opinion. I, okay. I sure. <laughs> I mean, all right. He, there's some, there's some obviousness that comes from the people who are here. Like Seth Rogen as a chummy guy plays a chummy guy. Paul Dano as a pretty delicate square of a guy. Um, you know, he doesn't have his usual annual shouting match in a movie, which thankfully stayed out of this one. But I mean, I, I, I just like Michelle Williams is the number one Hollywood specialist for playing willowy sadness. Like can mm-hmm. the, we, we let the girl smile, but we're going to crush her every time, you know, like it, that's just, that's her wheelhouse now. And now that she's 40 something, she's going to play a mom of that exact willowy sadness and crush, crushness. Well, she's in where, those two Venom movies and she doesn't do that. And she's a <laughs> horseshit addition to those movies for sure. Um, dare you. I'm just saying, you put the willowy girl in the exciting movie and ask her to be exciting. It's like asking her to like take drugs for the first time. It's not going to happen well for her. Like she just seems so misplaced in Venom. She's perfect here um, because she really never falters with the bracing honesty of like just the mother that is flawed. She knows her flaws are there. She knows those flaws have not been the best for her children. And 
obviously what the camera can capture with her and and i like the the pianist concert pianist background little piece to her character which seems to match spielberg's mother and all that but oh my gosh like if if we haven't seen this from michelle williams a thousand and one times uh that's where i was at at some point where yes you you went and hired the best but you're not asking much much out of the wheelhouse lifting for you. I've seen Paul Daniel play this guy. I've seen Michelle Williams play this person. I've seen Seth Rogen play this person. I've seen John Williams play the piano in pretty ways. I've seen everything's perfect right where it needs to be. And there's something to be said for assembling something really, really well. But at the end of the day, I, I don't know. It's, I don't know, man. Something soft got, about it. Something's missing. If you got Michael Jordan hit the clutch shot, you kind of want to keep him hitting the clutch shot, don't you? It doesn't matter how he does. Yeah, does it the same but, um, time, so why not? That, then it's then then what it is is the moment like when michael jordan hits a clutch shot in a championship game doing a you know doing a herculean effort of something we're cheering for a reason i where do you where do you cheer in this do you do you cheer when he gets right with the bully do you cheer when he doesn't christian himself into a weird little relationship and bed the girl in high school i i don't i got nothing here you know i do i think you cheer when david lynch shows up dropping f-bombs as john ford you cheer when yanis kaminsky very intentionally with that last shot of the movie herky jerks the camera enough to look like amateur hour you know perfect final shot as well but like yeah that's it everything else i'm like i'm nodding going hey nice work i'm not cheering if you if you if you need me to be if you want that to be that level of baller, I, I, I'm yo know, polished silver. It's, it's well, it, yeah. Sorry, it, it goes into a couple of different things too. I mean, I think the reason why, and maybe Katie can attest to this too, is the reason why I, I adore certain low budget films or certain things is, and you know, people love like the Ed Woods of the world is because regardless of whatever they have in front of them, they have, you know, the passion behind it. And that's what really drives it too. And I think Spielberg is lucky enough to tell us a very personal story. Just he also gets to have the budget too. And I think that, I think that whatever narrative portions you're speaking of that maybe um, don't quite work for you. I think they work for me because even if maybe I've seen some of this before, I knew some of that story it's his honesty and passion for the material, which obviously means a lot to him. Sure. Uh, no, no doubt there. That, but sells it for me a little extra because. Yeah, no, no doubt there. I mean, and I, I, I know I sound like a hater, but I don't regret the four stars I gave it because of like, it is his honesty. It is his moment. He crafts it beautifully. It's affecting to where it can, but, but it, it's, it stays right in that little leather bound bookshelf where it is. It's to not going to reverberate and be a bigger thing. No one's yeah. going to watch this movie in 20 years and go, gosh, that made me want to be a movie director just like Steven Spielberg. Like that, We're not going there. But that's because no one can be Steven Spielberg. You can. Oh, you tell, can. Somebody better tell J.J. Abrams that. He thinks he is, remember? Well, exactly. He thinks he is. Yeah. And that's, well, that's the thing. And <laughs> plus, that's the I mean, that then you're going to be like Paul Dano in the film. Like, you can't tell a kid you're, you're not going to be Steven Spielberg. It's the whole thing about having that dream and right. making them, um, you know, you, if you want to be Steven Spielberg, then you go and get that camera. You shoot your you um, film your friends doing this. You film that you do whatever you need to do to try and, right. you know, right. make that dream yeah. come true. And that's one of the things like when. Paul Dano was so like everyone besides his mom and 
Judge Hirsch was basically, it's like, you know, this is a hobby. You need to do accounting or something yeah. like that. And he was like, no, this is what I love to do. And then even Seth Rogen, like, even though, I mean, Sammy knew, and that was the only time in the film where he wanted to give up filmmaking because of what he captured on film and yeah. seeing that. And that I think is, that's when I really did think, wow, this uh, Gabriel Abel, that is a hard scene. Yeah, that was did, an amazing scene to portray a child. And I'm going to do a spoiler here to portray a child capturing what he then realizes is his mom having an affair what mm -hmm. with someone that he knows and has been in their life forever and when their dad was there at the same time but yeah. i also think that this wasn't an ob an unobvious thing to his father because as you know he, um mitzi laughs at bernie's jokes but um you know their dad is his is her best audience like she will he will always clap he will always be he always loved her more than she loved him and i think he was okay with that um because i mean she was the one who insisted on bernie coming to arizona he didn't even have a job but it's like if the dad didn't know i think it's very yeah i'm pretty sure some i'm not naive enough to think that he didn't know that something was going on with bernie but right. as long as they were together uh, Mitzi and you know Paul Dano and the family that was okay because it made her happy like she couldn't have her art she couldn't have the piano like she had and as an artist that's hard it's like you know Judd says mm. like art is our drug and without it you know we can't live so if she can't have that she needed another fix and that was Bernie but I felt like there was just something missing there, it was there, yeah. but it was missing. And it reminds me of the King's speech. I thought technically mm. it's a beautiful film, yep. but not a damn thing wrong with that movie either. No, but you're there's like, nothing then. wrong with the film, but there's just something missing with like, extra oomph. yeah, an extra something about it. And that was, yeah, yeah how I yeah, felt that, about this. That, but I love that, that, that it showed that he actually did show that's. I can't imagine how hard that would that is for him to show the flaws of his family, you know, for yeah. everyone to see. And again, that's why I think it's missing. Like you, his sisters are still alive. You know, he still has family members and it's I'm and it's not like he needs to trash his family to make it out there and all that stuff. But I just felt like there was something that was missing. But I mean, yeah. everything that he filmed as a child, if I would like, to, I wish, I want to see any of that, if that is still available on any of that, um, the film that he has when he was in high school or anything. I mean, I know there are certain, I know there are certain reels, like when he was a kid, because I think I've, I feel like I've seen recreations or something when he was a child with his family, but sure. the stuff like when he was in high school, if he had those scenes, I would love to see that because I, I love the brilliance that they put in for the like the war sequences and like um the practical effects and how to do yeah. the explosions and how to do i mean it's genius that they um did because i mean i don't feel like he just made that up on his own he didn't have a book he didn't have a teacher like everything that he was creating and making like he kind of figured out like from uh it's like okay well this doesn't work let's try this and you know the 
like what he like doing that direction to his actors like okay so you want me to cry yeah can you do that? like sure okay that's why i say bye yeah, <laughs> and it's like great like 17 year old or 15 year old because i don't even think he wasn't in, even in california at that time to see him like give direction to those people was fantastic but again yeah i just feel like there was just something missing you can find a little bit of a film he made in 1964 called firelight it's kind of a um it's it's funny because it's uh it, it takes place in arizona where i currently live and uh it is almost i mean the tale of it is is very like close encounters of the third kind because it's about people okay uh investigating lights in the sky um, ah. allegedly there allegedly the original cut was 140 minutes but there's only about a few minutes online you can find but and then if you watch the spielberg documentary that hbo put out they have some footage in there but yeah i, I don't think unless spielberg's got it locked away somewhere i don't really think that's too available uh, yeah i think i think that's part of the cloudiness for me is like there is this air of honesty that we're watching and seeing in these characters but at the same time this is still steven's i i don't think there's an authorized biography that exists for the man and uh, i know the hbo thing is there but like uh -huh. there's kind of a for me there's like a cloudiness to what are Steven's experience is obviously dramatized for film and for time, you know, and what are embellishments and additions that are here to make a movie to make the Fablemans and not the Spielbergs because I mean, the exponential whimsy just bleeds from every corner. Like yeah. there's hard, then there's hard topics here, but they're kind of, to me, they're like massaged and softened just almost as soon as they momentarily kind of hit and bludgeon a character in their dreamy existence. And, and that is, I don't want to call that hero worship. Cause I think, cause I think there is a, a regret and an honesty that is there from this guy saying, Hey, my parents weren't perfect. Things didn't really come out that way. I'm fine. My sisters are fine, but you know, where he's a very prudent and comfortable person about it. But, um, and I think, I think the other difficulty with this is like, and it goes back to what Katie was saying, where like, we want to have people inspired by and make art. And we want somebody to watch and be the next Steven Spielberg, but we're also watching a period piece of, of a time that we're not going to see again. We, I mean, it, there's the analogness of film and cutting film and editing and gluing your own reels and develop waiting for your pharmacy to develop film. We're doing that on a computer and an iPad at this point where mm -hmm. that same, but that same verver, that same love is a TikTok video now, or it's just, we're watching something that may never be repeated again and i don't want to sound this like i'm gonna here i'll do i'll do the will johnson moment of the show um there's that movie a year ago for kurt warner the football player american underdog where it was that it was that i don't want to say rags to riches movie but it was that virtual unknown guy comes up in the league and becomes a legend uh you know we, well you know that scouts missed that drafts missed that came out of nowhere climbed the ladder you know did the arena football and became kurt warner became a hall of famer where i said it at that time a year ago that that movie you'll will ne one will never see that story again um there's no way that talent nowadays with the way that youth sports are talent like that will never not be misidentified or missed like we'll, there's no unknown from iowa that's going to turn into an nfl hall of famer ever again there just won't um those those 
things are too, the factory is too strong, so to speak. And I feel like that is the same way with film, where we've reached a point where Steven Spielberg was, for a lack of a better term, Kurt Warner, like a, a self-made genius, uh, a prodigy that came out of nowhere and grew his craft and then got to the studio system and made, made it huge what he was. I don't know if we'll get that again. We have, you know... We're going to do a show next week that we've already recorded hint hint on Damien Chazelle and Damien Chazelle is a student of the game. Um, Barry Jenkins is a student of the game. All the young directors that are of repute now, Jordan Peele, they they're not unknowns that came from nowhere. They've all come from someplace and had ladders to get there versus the do it yourself guy that was Spielberg. We'll never have that again. So it's hard to watch that movie and go, oh, yeah, this is going to inspire the next generation when this is a story that's impossible to happen. But I don't I don't. Think it's meant to inspire anyone to do this i don't think it's when we're doing capture every moment on the poster yeah we are come on this is magic movies bullshit here but you know that you know movies are movies advertising marketing campaigns are completely different than that's why you don't watch trailers because you know the trailers are selling you a different product than what you're going to get right but but so, this is all. Come on, you can't tell me steven spielberg doesn't have is that doesn't have the clout to be final say on this shit nowadays i don't True. I, I guess if I don't. There's, if there's a guy that's curating everything and we're polishing silver again, he his fingerprints are. Yeah, but it's if, impossible for him to lose if, that spot. If that was the case, then West Side Story would have been much better advertised. I mean, if he really, has I agree with that. Marketing yeah. stuff. I mean, and it's Spielberg. I mean, he couldn't even even Spielberg these days couldn't get a movie like that sold with Disney. Like so, yeah. I don't, so I don't know. I don't know how much total control he has over that. I mean. Don't get me wrong. He has more than the average guy. I would but, hope so. But I don't know. I We know that trailers exist and movie posters exist to tell you all kinds of different stuff. Taglines have existed. Yeah. I go back to the one that, you know, Katie well, is probably very familiar with, the movie Chopping Mall, which yes. has no <laughs> chopping in it. And actually, no. none of what's on the poster or the tagline applies in the movie at all. That's an extreme yeah. example. but. That's what I'm saying. I, the reason why I love the film is, is when I saw that, don't get me wrong, when I saw that tagline or I saw that uh, summary of the Fablemans, I wanted to vomit because I was like, oh, great, another cinema is magic thing, right? And yeah. it to me, it doesn't deliver that. To me, it's a more personal, subtle, nuanced story than that. And I think that's what I'm saying. I compared it to like AI where I think it has the perception on the surface of one thing, but really gets down deep into some other things I I've it, it, this is okay. Let me talk about the environment for one, you know, you can have movies where you can feel the artifice of the setting. You know, it's a set, you know, people are wearing costumes, you know, then this you is get, one of those movies for me. See, it's not for hundred percent to me. It's kind of like, um, like when you watch a PTA film or a Tarantino film, that's a period piece. Like it feels authentic. To me. It feels oh. like, like you're in no that, like you feel like you're in that setting. Villeneuve does it in the future, Blade Runner 2049. Shane Black does it in the nice guys where it just, you feel uh-uh. involved in that setting. And, and to me, like the period was so effortlessly done here that that helps get the story moving there. But like I said, I think it's, it's, it's not meant to inspire. It's more to tell a story about someone who was inspired. Like what was the, what was the origin story of one sure. of our, one of film's greatest legends. I don't think it's it's a po- it's a recruitment poster to go make movies. I just don't 
see that. It's too personal of a yeah. story to me than for that. Ah, that, that, but but maybe that's the thing that's missing is like if we're not gonna boost the magic of movies and we're not gonna like boost Jewish boys getting over anti-Semitism, we're not gonna boost the wallflowers who are creators who get pushed down by their parents. If we're not hitting those next biggest notes, what are we really doing? Well, we're, I mean, we're doing the we're doing cute we're doing cute reflection, which we've seen artists do too much this year in the last three. Because, ah, oh, geez, like, who else just, uh, Anaritu has got Bardo right now. We've got Mendes doing that with Empire of Light. Like, it's just, ah, I, 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 there's no, I don't have a what was me level for these folks when they're doing amazingly successful work. <laughs> like, oh, sorry, you had two bullies in high school. We all did. Yeah, but Push I, don't, on, I don't, but yeah, I don't think, like, he's asking for sympathy necessarily. I think it's just a facet of the story. Like I don't think he's, uh, I don't think sure. he's going. I don't think he. I, I never got the impression from this movie. Like I never got out of this thinking, like, man, what a tough life Steven Spielberg had. Like I no, don't sure. think. That. Well, that's like, and that's the and then then I would go to Artifice. Like this is the prettiest, most po- polished fifties you're going to see in a long time, and that is because of the the great craft and people he's got. And and this is meant to be a dreamy thing of you know mu- movies capture moments and all. I this I was agree with you on that. I, no, I, I, just, yeah. I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. There was one scene where I was watching. But there's no realism here. Like I, to me. I I, the level that you're talking about like we're not we're not raw and dirty pta we're not raw and dirty quentin either you know and you we're not even for suburban no. arizona you don't have to be you no, know no 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 Hollywood if you, Boulevard, like well you then know. you can't call it what you're calling it which is ah you're, you're losing it then get then then we're we're in fairytale territory here rather than i don't know because i grew up i don't know and i grew up a middle class suburban white kid, and sure. those neighborhoods, even though it's the '60s and '70s, looks just like my childhood. I mean, it's sure. not—it's not like grandiose, but it's also not in the pits, dark and terrible. I know, but I make those comparisons. What I'm saying is, is that like, like when there's scenes in like Steven Spielberg's room, like I feel like that is a room like that was filmed in the 60s and 70s like I, I feel like it's integrated into the picture like yeah it's a little glossy but a lot of movies are going to have style and substance and things sure, like that. Sure. But, so I, I don't mean it like that i'm not saying it's like it's like inherent vice where it's like you're getting like you know you smell the ocean you know on the thing i'm, I'm saying that like the way that <laughs> maybe it's that's, like, what is and it, maybe that's the part that's missing the way is that one more layer it, like I, i've never this is a thing we have. This is a problem we have with culture today. This is a, one of the major problems I have with Stranger Things is that instead of living in the 80s, they're constantly calling out the 80s. They're constantly saying, look, this is the 80s. I never got that from this film. I wasn't like, oh, look, it's the 60s. Look at that. Look at that reference. Look at that reference. That's what I mean. I, I think it's flawlessly, you're flawlessly integrated into that time. I don't mm. see it as like, Hey guys, gee whiz, it's the sixties. Like I never got that feel. Like I never yeah. got that it's bringing attention to its setting. It feels like you're in that setting. That's what I mean by that. I, I, I mean, okay. sometimes you watch these movies, like I said, like when I watch um, once upon a time in Hollywood, I almost feel like that movie was filmed in 1969, like, because it's so effectively produced, you know, and sure there's grandiose levels to that movie too. There's fairy tale levels to that movie too. But it's not about 
the look. I'm just talking about the feel of it. I feel like they were. I just think really you can't. Bad. I just think you can't have both. I think you can't tell a fairy tale and make a realist, and then and then mark your and then celebrate realism. You're 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 one can't serve the other terribly easily. Katie, what do you think? I mean, we're we're jostling between these two spots here. I understand what you guys are saying, but I do feel like the film, but I, and recording myself, I feel like the film is just never giving up on your dreams, despite everything that's going around you and people telling you not to, um, not to do it, um, in any aspect of what you're doing with this, it's his, you know, love for film and his creativeness. And I think with anyone who's doing anything in the arts, that's, good advice like don't give up but i do feel like something is missing i just feel like there's some sort of oomph like i love that one of the performances i love the most is honest is julia butters as uh reggie like everything she does she's amazing and speaking about you know once upon a time in hollywood one of my favorite parts of that film and to me she has one of the most honest roles in the film like she's the one that like when her mom is doing that dance in the spotlight with the uh like no one else is saying anything she's like mom come on let's bring it out like she's kind of like uh that jiminy cricket like coming back it's like okay let's let's calm it down what are we doing let's stop let's stop no one else is doing anything none of the other another other daughters none of the guys they're just letting her do her thing and then when the parents do talk about their divorce. Like she's the one who stands up. It's like, this is crap. I don't want to be split up. And she's the one who actually is the one who's like, I don't know. She actually has like a huge amount of feelings and gives mm-hmm. that perform- that reaction. I don't I think there's enough of her wanted on some other level of people. Yeah, like I understand that Paul Dano, you know, was very subdued and didn't raise his voice, but I wanted something. I, it's like, he is a yeah. great, subtle performance but there was just something that was unrealistic to me like and then um the fact that the mom is just i seemed like there was a little bit of mental instability going on with her and some like like manic episodes in the car like getting all the kids and then driving in the tornado and doing that i was like what is going on like i, I know. mean that but yeah. and yet when she's with sammy and sammy like tells her that he knows that shows her the clip like that was a beautiful reaction that michelle williams does but it just seemed like there was just something missing in a number it's like i've got i yeah. named two i mean two performances yeah. that i thought were great but there's just something there's just something missing from a lot of it like even when sammy you know gets confronted by the bully at the dance and see you know they see that i don't know i feel like there should have been like more of a breakdown or something it just again i it's a beautiful film it's beautiful Beautiful. cinematography um you know semi-autobiographical so i know this can't this isn't all of his childhood and you know we have no right to ask of knowing everything that happened to him like that's his life like thank you for even shining anything on this um, but I think, you know, since both of his parents have died, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to show his parents in this light as best he could, as respectful as he could. And I get that. And I think that's brave. And I thank him for even letting us know anything about him. But again, I just felt like there was just something missing. It, this is my king's speech. 
I it's like I saw that once. Yep. I knew it was going to win Best Picture, but it's like it's wasn't in my top anything that year. This will probably be in my top twenty, maybe. Um, maybe. I don't think ten, Same. but it's there's just something about it that's missing for me. Like, I mean, yeah. the anti-Semitism, I hate it. And yet I've never, and I actually talked to somebody, there's only two films where I have heard that word that was referred to this and Porky's. And yet there's mm. in the same time period. And I thought yeah. that was very interesting. That's like, why is, am I only hearing this? Right? Like I did not hear that growing up with any of my Jewish friends, other um, people that I know did. And I'm like, well, maybe oh. it's because I, went off on some people that tried to be uh anti-semitic and racist one time and they uh yeah i kind of have that thing like uh somebody said something about my last name once and i made them cry and no one said anything about my last name until i was in college and then they still didn't even say anything about my my, my last name which glidewell has a lot of things that um you can throw at it but you know, getting a war shirts with me. <laughs> it's it's generational with that stuff because, like, for yeah. instance, between the Korean War and the Vietnam War, there was people that used the G word relating to Asian people, and I don't think you hear that as much anymore because it's not quite as, you know, charged with that rhetoric. Right. Um, you have uh, just go back to World War Two. You know, what we call the German. I don't know if this is a bad word or not, but. The, used to call the germans the krauts you know like or whatever like it's that i think it's generational i think it comes at that time i could totally see that word that we're referring to being used for jewish people by that like era of people um because of kind of what was going on i you know i don't think we hear that as much anymore it's just a different generational thing i don't know why i'm talking about this but i'm just saying that you know i i thought that's more See, when you talk about that realism versus fantasy, like if this was more of a, if this was more of a fairy tale, I don't think some of these characters would have the flaws that they have because it would be more a fairy tale. Uh, it, it would be I, more, yeah. Because Katie brought up a great. I don't know. Point. Katie brought up a great point. While we, as a viewer, are watching this beautiful dance that Michelle uh, Williams is doing. There is still that character that's like, dude, this is weird. She doesn't have any clothes on underneath there. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of moments where that power of film is being taken out of that context of it being a fairy tale or showing things in a great light. To me, it always comes back to that school bully realizing his insecurities by look by saying, like, oh my God, you made me to look like this big hero. I'm nothing like that. Like I think a lot of these characters, like his mom has some issues. Maybe maybe with the Paul Dano, because he doesn't have much more than that, maybe that was his problem. Is that, yes, he was loyal to a fault, but he also had no personality. He had he was a complete, he was ahead of his time. Like, kind of a genius. And, and we know that a lot of people, especially when they're young and they're ahead of their time geniuses, they, they find tough time staying with the crowd and then they move beyond them. It's I feel if it was a fairy tale setting, these characters would have, like you said, a little bit more massage. They'd be a little bit more flawless. To me, these characters are really broken down. Like the mom, like you can see, like sometimes when she's a good mom, but there's also times where she's a terrible mom, you know, sure. and the dad is too. Like if this was more of a fairy tale, like she would have been the perfect, the perfect person to exist. And I don't get that impression from this. I think 
Spielberg is telling you, like, my mom, for better, you know, my mom was great at this, but bad at this. And she made a bad decision here, but a good decision here. Like, I, that's what I'm saying. I, th- I feel it's more nuanced than I think the surface shows you. I, I think, and, I, and I think as soon as you, and I think as soon as you do capture the moment and you're doing magic movies on top of it, you've already doubled down on fairy tale. I guess I just, I just kind of feel like it's the trick of the camera, just like they talk about throughout the whole movie, just like at the end, that beautiful touch where they fix the camera because yeah, you know, John that's a fun little movie. But I'm just saying, like, I think our eyes are telling us one thing when we should be seeing something else. And that's kind of the, that's kind of what I got is this is why I don't think it's a recruitment for making movies because he's showing, I think he's kind of showing you both sides of it that, yeah, you can make beautiful things with film, but you can also completely pull the wool over somebody's eyes or trick someone, or you can hide in plain sight or vice versa. Like I just, I think there's a lot more going on under the surface of what's visually being shown. I, I, that's kind of how I feel. Huh? Well, I mean, I love like with his, the portrayal of, you know, Mitzi and whatnot. I love the fact that she's not a traditional mom, like that she does uh, paper plates. And instead of having the tablecloth and washing the dishes and wasting that time, you have paper plates, you have a plastic tablecloth, you just wrap it up and throw it all away. Done. How about that? Now let's go do some stuff. I like that she, uh, you know, was a concert pianist, yet none of her kids uh, play the piano. Uh, I love, which I thought was very interesting that it, it seemed like she, um, none of them had that whole thing. It's Steven had the stuff with the art and they focused on him and I'm not sure what his sisters, um, were involved in, but it's not, you know, it's about, it's more about him and his, um, and his life and whatnot. But I mean, she wanted to be happy and she had a husband who absolutely was infatuated and adored her and she has four beautiful children and she's not happy because she doesn't have that excitement and stuff. I mean, he's a great provider. He's, um, you know, a genius at what he does, uh, like doing all this stuff and, you know, uh, catering to her different whims. And I love the fact that the rental house that they have reminded me so much of the house in Poltergeist, which I don't know if that's good or bad, um, considering, you know, all of the controversy about who directed that. Um, and what, and, and all that stuff in history. But I mean, I don't know. Again, I just feel like there's just something missing. There was just something missing that I just, I can't put my finger on and I don't know why, but it's just like, ah, it was just a little push that I wish would have been. I will say, I will say it's a shame. And I mean, I, I could see why it's happening, but at the same time, it's a shame that this is tanking at the box office, you know, um, because it, it's a night, nice, it's a very nice movie and a great way to spend. Like, this is a, I, I know it's not a family movie We're all the way down to my own children, but like, this is a good sit down holiday situation where you can bring your adult children or even take your own folks to and stuff like that. It's a very nice movie. I mean, I, I call it a boomer bedtime story on a certain level, but it plays and it works. It's not the Irishman. Thank God. But, um, but no, it's a shame that more people aren't going to see this or I don't know how a cult following could come out of this when it hits streaming in a week or a while by the time we publish this, probably this week. But um, yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I don't wish ill on this movie, but at the same time, if, if this is the thing that outdoes 
the Babylons and the everything everywhere all at once is in the RRRs and even the avatars for some Oscars. That's too much love. Oh, I don't, yeah, I, I agree I with that. that. I agree well, with I, that. I agree with you 100% that it's not going to win anything. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to win a thing. But I'm, I'm saying that from an analysis standpoint, not a per, um, heart standpoint. A, yeah. Like a heart yeah. standpoint. So I totally agree sure. with you on that. I, I don't. No, think it, it, I, I'm with you because, like, in any other year, I Michelle Williams is overdue for an Oscar for a thousand times. I would love to give her an Oscar. Uh, I wanted it for Blue Valentine a long time ago, but here we are oh, yes. hoping for this, you know? So, yeah, I mean, yeah, John Williams deserves another Oscar every time he comes out and makes a score, but he's not going to get one, and it's a shame because this might be his last. And I Give think David it, it, Lynch a goddamn Oscar for this. Oh, no. <laughs> no. You C- know, Category actually, Fraud is going to put Bl- Brennan Gleeson as the Oscar and supporting actor. But I'm yeah. just saying, like... I'm just saying, if Judy Dench can win for eight minutes, give David Lynch a goddamn Oscar for six. Is all for, I'm saying for, for for the best cigar drags ever in a movie. Well, he—I mean, I know he's supposed to be playing John Ford, but he's playing David Lynch. Is pretty know. much because he's just doing the same thing. Yeah, uh, but that—that that is a, a beautiful, beautiful moment. Like I, uh, the audience, you know, I'm not saying I'm some kind of special person when it comes to film, but I think. You know, you have to be kind of a cinephile to know who David Lynch is. And a a modern audience, a general audience is not going to know who David Lynch is. And I was, you know, you know, I'm, I'm a Marvel guy. So I'm used to the crowd having gasps, you know, when something shows up. So when I'm the only one gasping, because I'm like, holy shit, it's David Lynch, you know, and people are like, what are you, what What the hell is he talking about? You know, that's just kind of a fun little cinephile treat for for people, you know, to have a yeah. cameo. It's, it's my favorite cameo of the year. I've said that ever since I saw the Fablemans. Yeah. Like, that was amazing. But just before we were uh, recording this, I looked up and he actually does look like John Ford in yes, that really moment. Yeah. He really does. And looking up a little bit about John Ford when uh, there's, a, there's a, a bit in there that says, you know, he followed his brother to Hollywood, who was an actor. So when someone asked, like, how did you um, come to Hollywood? And he said, by train. And I was like, oh, you know what? What David Lynch, I think, probably pretty much nailed it on the head then. I don't know. How- yeah, no, no. I, I, I know. I'm just saying, I went more with the voice. Like, I, I just say, like, oh, he, yeah. If you watch yeah, yeah. stuff with David Lynch, it's, it's pretty much him just going, like, what the fuck? Like, but um, yeah. I would, now I need to see a movie because okay. I'm always down for. Uh, destroying legends that don't exert deserve to exist. I, I need to see a movie now of David Lynch's John Ford uh, making a movie with John Wayne and just harassing the living shit out of John Wayne and shaming him for dying <laughs> in the war. Because, like, All right. even though those guys worked together like a billion times pre and post war, like dude, Ford, like, just would go all over John Wayne about not fighting in the war like he would sit there on set and be like you fucking pansy you didn't fight you know like and just you know for everybody else john wayne's the toughest guy in the universe but like john ford would just destroy him i could watch 40 minutes of david lynch john ford just yelling at a (laughs) a john wayne avatar all day going you fuck you didn't win anything yeah that's that would be great maybe that's the next movie that Steven Spielberg should do is uh, the unauthorized um, biopic of the making of the searchers since that's his favorite <laughs> film. 
That's true. You, you, know, you know what? Uh, the Searchers influences so many damn, so many damn movies. Uh, recently reading Tarantino's book, like there's so many movies that Paul Schrader made and Scorsese made and, and everybody that right. basically the Searchers. Um, Let's talk about Spielberg for a minute before we move on. Okay. Um, I was just going to say that I, he is at this moment that, you know, there's rumors that he wants to do a Western because the, the one thing, you know, you would think that, uh, you know, it's that, that um, Spielberg's done everything, but last year was his first musical right. you know, and he hasn't made a Western before. So as a kid growing up loving westerns, I know. Yeah. So like he he's been talking about making a western. It's like, please, dear God, make a western. How fucking amazing would that? Be? Yeah. Um, is it his next project, Bullet with Bradley? Yeah, Cooper? he's he's doing a Bullet yeah. remake, which I I am okay. I've watched Bullet for the first time this year. Um, I'll take that. And uh, I would like to see. I know we have a uh, uh, a former guest of the show. Who did the searchers? Ironically, Byron, who thinks Spielberg would be a terrible choice, and I remember Don was like, "Yeah, go ahead and uh, not want the one of the most exactly stunning yeah. directors of all time to do an action film. Like, yeah, yeah don't do on. that because it's like, yeah, do, do we remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? Like, come on, guys. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that's what's in the pipeline. It's a bullet remake, and he's allegedly going to try to make a western. So. You know, I mean, I could, I could just imagine a western. Spielberg. I'll take a, I'll take an Alan Silvestri score there. Yeah, I'll, yep. Because yeah. I mean, well, if Williams is retired, I know he's worked with Newman. He's worked with Silvestri. I'll take a Silvestri score. I'll take a little. Yeah, you can get some people. Mm-hmm. Well, it is interesting considering when you think of the films that are on uh, Sammy Fableman's walls and stuff. It's like you know. The man who oh, shot yeah. Liberty Valance and Stagecoach and all this stuff. And yeah, that Steven yeah. Spielberg has not made a um, Western. I actually um, was wondering, because I'm looking at all the film, like thinking back on the posters that were on his walls, I uh, thought that there was going to be some connection to Jimmy Stewart, because there were so many films that Jimmy Stewart is in that he seemed to love. And it, then um, having The Greatest Show on Earth be the first film that he shot if that was the first film that he actually saw but in the it film is. it That's is accurate yeah. i heard yeah also there is um i've seen bits and pieces here of um i've seen some videos online videos or just clips of stuff where you can kind of see a little bit of future spielberg projects that are being played at here i think one of the biggest ones is it's almost a shot for shot remake of the kids on the bicycles, like in their boy scout uniforms is almost shot for shot. Just like a sequence for PT with boys on the bicycles. Like there's like, sure. yeah. So like, even though this is the Fablemans and not the Spielbergs and I'm sure there's other ones, I, I would need to rewatch it, but um, yeah, there's little homages to let you know, like, okay, like Spielberg got his influences from everything, childhood, his family, but also right. like simple things like neighborhoods. I mean, when you think of like ET or uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you think of suburbia. You know, right, right. In suburbia, so like I, I like that. There's all these references to like his future influences. There is one thing I wanted to bring up. I, I forgot okay. that I wanted to t- that I wanted to say that I was 
that that may have tipped me a little bit in this direction because it's the first time I've been able to identify with death on a certain level with in a movie because there is a scene in this movie that's beautifully filmed um, oh, yeah. where uh, Michelle Williams' mm. grandma does, I believe. Is it her grandma? No, her mother. Her, her mother. mother. Her mother. Okay. So the way her mother dies in this movie is the exact same way my mom died. And I was there mm. and it was to the T. It almost happened exactly the same. So I guess I was kind of on this level, like with maybe that's kind of why maybe I emotionally connect because I kind of felt like with that scene, I was, I was so like keyed into the realism there, which is why I keyed yeah. on this realism because I remember my mom, you know, she was, it's her last moments, you know, she's just kind of in bed, mouth's open, not sure what's going on. You know, she's just on this machine breathing. You can see things are working. You can feel a pulse. You can do that stuff. And then there's that moment where it just stops. I remember the moment it happened, my dad said she's gone. And it was like, boom. Wow. Like, and this film captures that almost exactly. And it even stays true to the characters. Like, did you notice how Paul Dano is watching, like, intently the monitors and the equipment? Because yes. that's kind of his thing. And the mom yeah. is like laying in bed with her and they have that yeah. shot where you can see the heartbeat in yep. her, neck. her neck. And it's like, and then there's that moment she opens her eyes. My mom didn't open her eyes, but there is that moment where like you, you're almost in disbelief that it's happening, especially if, I don't know if I don't, you guys don't have to explain it, but you know, when you see someone actually die in front of you, when you're there, especially like a loved one, like there's that moment of disbelief and she has that because the eyes open. She goes, maybe she's okay. Her eyes are open. Everyone else knows, no, it's over. It, it, she's yeah. passed. And she has that moment where she's like, maybe she's okay. Like, I, I don't know, man. That that to me was like one of the most, because we've seen death in film all the time. But like, oh, sure. that captured almost not the mundaneness of death, but like the fact that you are kind of stuck in a hospital room waiting for that last heartbeat. And that yeah. just, that really tipped me over the edge. And, and I think from that moment on, cause that happens kind of early on. I think that's why maybe I connect so emotionally with his character because he was able to capture a moment. And that's from my life. That is so true to form. And I think that, um, that's what makes Spielberg so great is that he finds a way to connect with all the quadrants about something that happens yeah. in their life. So maybe that, maybe I could be a little bit, Maybe I'm a little bit biased because I was completely sucked into that moment because it was so, like, you know, almost identical to my experience. And, and maybe sure. you just had me along the way. I don't know. And I, and I can say I'm harsh to the point of, like, I, 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 at no point have I said on the show, like, oh, my gosh, who's this movie for? Um, but right, at right. the same time, I, I'm quite I, at the same time. I know I've sat here saying, you know, inspiration, extra of, you know who would identify from this who would this inspire further i where no he is that guy universal quadrants human human emotion human scale while at the same time is doing something fairy tale level yeah he's he's special for that for sure yeah yeah absolutely i just i didn't want to like leave the episode without mentioning that because i remember mm. just like it's it's there's very few experiences i mean that you can have I mean, cinema is great because you can connect on all kind of levels, but we also, in a lot of ways, I, I would say 
almost primarily use cinema as a ways of escape, you know? True. But yes. every now, every now and then something hits you like true to life, you know? And like, uh, I think that can definitely affect the way you look at things. And so, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't leave without mentioning that because I, I remember I was in the theater and I, you, you could, you could like, I almost felt like I was in this isolated box. Like I did, I, mm. didn't, I didn't know there was an audience next to me. I felt like yeah. I was inside that room while it was happening. Cause I remember being in the same exact type of type of room. Like it was, it was one of those kind of like, like there's a uh, surrealness there of like, man, this is real. Yeah. Sure. And so from that point on, I was a little, that, that might've swayed me a little bit. And, and so I, I'd like, yeah, to, so. I'd like to see, I would like to rewatch. I'm not saying I want to rewatch it because I want to lower my expectations of the film. I mean, I feel about the way I feel about the film. Um, but I would now, now that I've heard differing opinions about what you're talking about, I would like to see it now that I kind of know that moment is in there. It doesn't take me off guard. And right. I, I would like to try to see it from another angle. I mean, we were talking about my number one film of the year. We talked about this both on mic and off mic, me and Katie, but like, you know, Nope to me is like one of those films that gets better and better. You know, for me, once upon a time in Hollywood is one that gets better and better. Like I, I wasn't as enamored with it as I am now. So I wonder if this is one that maybe I'm caught up in the moment and maybe if I rewatch it again, I'll see some of the flaws and realize, yeah, maybe this isn't as great as it is, but as it stands for me right now, in terms of how I was wrapped up in it, it's my number two. All right. One that, I mean, one, thank you for sharing that. Will. absolutely. um, That experience with your mom. And I, I can totally understand how this, you would have a personal connection to this film. I mean, that yeah. is undoubtedly, especially when you're saying like, like every bit of that, like that's extremely emotional. And I, yeah, I can definitely see that, but, um, no, I mean, thank you for, um, letting us know that. Cause that's, that had to be so hard to see that in the film and like oh, yeah. re re feeling all of those emotions. Um, I'm yeah, so I sorry. I called my hey, dad. Hey. I called my dad right after, and I was just like, "I was like, Dad, I, I know you don't, don't want to hear this, but like, this movie, man, like it, it has a scene in it that had me reliving some things I didn't want to relive, and, and talked about it. Mm. And that was it. We were able to actually kind of. It was kind of nice because it kind of opened up some discussions. We talked about some things that we were trying to not talk about, you know, with stuff like that. So it's it kind of a nice. A nice little moment, you know, to be able to discuss it, and 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 that just speaks to the power of art too. Like that, yeah, it this is true. In that way, like you know, me and my dad were able to open up about things that we've because me and my dad are both very like Don knows. I don't know how much uh-huh. you know, Katie, but Don knows with me that like my instincts when that stuff happened was to bury myself in work and just and I'm feeling the effects of that now because I am. I literally have like four jobs now and I'm all over the place and I never have a time to rest. And, and I do that to avoid, you know, feeling those things. So in a way it was nice to like, see like, okay, well it's not just me. Like Spielberg had to get that from somewhere. Or maybe it wasn't Spielberg. Maybe it was Kushner that wrote it. I don't know. Maybe someone, someone has to have that shared experience. Obviously yeah. I shared it with whatever was presented on screen, but that has to come from somewhere, a script, the director himself, you know, stories he heard, whatever. So it was nice to sometimes art you can connect on that realism level and and realize okay you're not the only one who has these issues you know so i don't know that's that's just my thing i don't know why i brought that up but there you go <laughs> 
Katie, do you have any um, final thoughts you want to share about the Fablemans? Uh, and after you do that, can you let our audience know how they can get a hold of you and uh, reach you and talk to you and all that stuff? Uh, definitely. Well, so my closing thoughts on the Fablemans, uh, you know, uh, a window or semi-autobiographical or biopic window into one of history's, I believe, finest directors who who has influenced so many, even if uh, people may not say it or not. I am glad that I saw it. I do say that people should see it. It's a nice film for December for people to go and see about the love of film and the movies and you know, pursuing your dreams. I I think it will be nominated for a number of awards. I don't necessarily think it's going to win them. It possibly score if this is John Williams' um, last one, and I do think this is great. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I love Spielberg, and so many of his movies are in, like, my favorites. Uh, this is not... I think this is on one of the lower rungs of the films that he's done. But uh, I do still say see it. Yeah, all right. Well, and, and my my feelings are well documented. So let's. Uh, and since Don is no longer on the recording, I mean he's listening, but he can't do anything about it. So he said it's the best movie of the year. So let's. <laughs> so he did not. He uh, did not. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's typing in the chat right now. You're right, Will. I changed my mind. Fableman's is the best picture, not only of you say here, not only of the year, but of all time. Okay. Well, good, John. I'm glad I, was, I was able. To, I'm glad I was able to change his mind. That's what I'm here for. Cinephile Hissy Fitz is out there changing minds. That's what we're here for. So untruths, untruths um, being said here. Uh, right. I am Katie Glidewell, the blonde in front. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My site is kind of down because it was somewhat hacked, considering I was getting emails from my own site uh, that I was not sending to myself. Uh, But yeah, find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And then I also uh, record on other platforms. podcast uh radio of horror and postmortem radio where you can hear my reviews and thoughts on different films that have come out in 2022 and i love being on cinephile hissy fit with you guys and hopefully i can come back very very soon now after you just exposed me that won't happen so uh we'll just cut all <laughs> that out uh, but um <laughs> yes no we would love to have you in fact i would I'd love to have you replaced on. It'd be great. Um, But anyways, (laughs) all right. So follow us on Twitter at CinephileFit and on Facebook at CinephileHissyFitPodcast. Also find us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. CinephileHissyFit is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, Banana Meter, and we are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. If you enjoyed this show, Ruminations Radio Network has more where that came from with wonderful programs and interesting hosts. Our show and others are available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.